You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by MyBookie. Go bet with MyBookie. Sign up at mybookie.ag and use promo code Gators, and they will match your deposit 50%. Go bet with mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode of Gators Breakdown is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC and his site, readandreaction.com. Will, it was uh, a butt whooping on, on Idaho, but more importantly, it's Florida, Florida State Week. Yeah, man. I mean, it was it was seven nothing before I got back to my seat, and then fourteen nothing before I'd finished my lunch. It was uh, it was a uh, relaxing afternoon, I would say, watching the Gators. It's been a while since yeah. we've had one of those where you know you knew you were getting the backups maybe midway through the second quarter, and the only qu- and and it had nothing to do with somebody getting booed. It had to do, it had to do with there being a blowout. So, I mean, I think this was the most points scored since McElwain's first game. And, uh, you know, certainly Mullen has put his mark on the offense this year. I mean, granted, there have been a couple of cupcakes, but they've been over 40 points now four times. And McIlwain only did it four times in his entire tenure over those three years. So um, good to see the offense moving. Good to see some development. I know there are people who are um, – I, I know there are people who are still going to pick it apart, and certainly there are still warts. But um, anytime you beat somebody and you put up 63 points, you know, it's nothing to nothing to sneeze at. And this is the kind of thing we were asking for. Uh, before the season started, that you beat the teams you're supposed to beat the way you're supposed to beat them, and and that's what they did. Yep. Hey, Will, it was kind of cool. Uh, Gators breakdown. I mentioned on SEC Network this morning. Yeah, I saw you posted that on Facebook. Yeah. People should go see. Was that Peter Burns? Peter was Burns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's been on Gators breakdown, of course. But uh, yeah, I had to go. My daughter was sick today, so I had to go pick her up from uh, uh, from uh, VPK, and then uh, so I turned on uh, SEC Network on the on the way home and heard that, and I was like, whoa. We go hey i didn't even expect that hey man you're, you're going big time so this is uh... <laughs> <laughs> no nah, but hey all with the help of you my friend all with the help of you yeah well you know peter's a friend of the show it's nice to have someone like him on and for him to take the time and and come on and preview the season and uh and and do that so certainly to have him mention mention the podcast you know on on a broader forum is very much appreciated and uh you know like I said, you certainly put a lot of hard work into this podcast and I participate in it, but you know, you do the lion's share of the work and well deserved, my friend. Thank you much. Thank you much, Will. So uh, I'll get your thoughts on uh, a little more Idaho, uh, mainly Emory Jones uh, and his performance. It's uh, everything else is kind of just out there and we know, but uh, Emory Jones' performance, definitely want to get Will's take on that. But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team as well as a uh, Jaguars podcast now, uh, Till the Podcast out there. So if you're a Jaguars, Jacksonville Jaguars fan, I know it's hard right now, uh, but you can go listen to uh, uh, Till the Podcast, the Jaguars podcast there. Uh, so search uh, on uh, all those avenues, much like you can find Gators Breakdown on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Spotify. And when using their services when listening to Gators Breakdown, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, you and I talked behind the scenes a, a little bit uh, on Sunday. 
Uh, you know, not much, like you said, not much to break it, break down with this Idaho game. Some people are going to pick it apart. They're definitely going to pick apart what they saw from Emory Jones and his first extended action uh, of the season. And, you know, going back and watching his play, I, I did it again today since I was unexpectedly home with a, with a, a sick daughter. So uh, she took a nap and I, I had some little, little bit more time to kind of watch. And uh, I, I still like when he made the decision to throw. Uh, he he knew where to go with it and, and threw a catchable ball when, when he threw it. You know, he, where to go, catchable ball, uh, threw it with conviction. You know, scanned the field a couple plays. Uh, one play where he wanted to go right, but it wasn't there. He moved to the left in the pocket, made a nice sideline throw to Grimes. Uh, so in his first extended performance, you know, I think there was some good we can take away from Jones and seeing a good starting point in going into the offseason and perhaps in another quarterback competition for the Gators next season. Yeah, sure. I mean, I thought Jones played pretty well. I, I thought there were a few plays where he dropped his head and started running sooner than you would would have liked to have seen. Some times where he maybe felt pressure in the pocket when it wasn't really there and sort of left the pocket instead of going through his progressions. But he also threw a beautiful pass deep that, that uh, you know, was dropped. And then I mean, he threw one that was a little bit behind Grimes. It turned into a big play. Um, but beyond that, for the most part, he looked like he was on target. I mean, I do think you saw some of the things that you know, at this point in the season, worry to do against a big time opponent like a Georgia or like a Florida State. And I mean, you know, we'll talk about how big time Florida State is this year, I'm sure. But, um, you know, if you're, if you're playing against really, really talented guys, I can see where, um, you know, things would still be a little bit fast for him. It still looked like it was a little bit fast. Um, you know, there, there was nothing in there where I went, oh, yeah, he's clearly a better option than Felipe Franks. Um, you know, I think a lot of people's um, hope is that he's just, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of him. I don't think that's true. I think they're probably pretty equivalent right now. I think they do different things well. Um, and I think you mm. can sort of see that on display that, that Jones is clearly a better runner, um, though a little bit less decisive. I mean, when they run with Franks, they're running with Franks. He doesn't, he doesn't scramble. Some of Jones's scrambles were, or some of Jones's runs were from plays where it broke down and he had to scramble. Um, I think on the deep ball, it looks like Jones throws a little bit better than Franks. Um, you know, Franks just does put enough air under it and it tends to sail past his receiver. <laughs> um, you know, but on some of those intermediate routes, I mean, Frank's threw some really nice passes there. So, um, you know, we'll see whether that carries over. The one thing I would say that I do think is significant from the Idaho game is they really, really repped throws over the middle. So there was a throw over the middle to Siante Lewis, mm -hmm. which they completed right over the linebacker under the safety. There was, and then on the next play, they went to Katerius Tony, and he overthrew that one, and Tony wasn't able to bring it in. But again, that was over the middle. Um, there were multiple instances where I can remember they were trying to get guys open over the middle, and you wonder whether that has something to do with where they think they might be able, be able to exploit Florida State's defense and sort of repping the things that Franks doesn't necessarily do well, as opposed to uh, you know repping the things those little outside throws the ball screens, things like that, that he does do well. Yeah, I think, you know, the difference, and you, you mentioned probably maybe how close they are in, in the physical attributes that we see. And I, and I mentioned this on the podcast yesterday as well, is, you know, it's like the, the little things that we can't really calculate, the things we can't see, you know, putting the team in the right play, putting, you know, checking to a run when you it's a call of plastic. Those are the things that, you know, they've been in this, this offense equal time, but it does come with experience and coming with studying defenses and the defenses that you've seen now that Felipe Franks has seen for, you know, two playing seasons and a, and a redshirt season as well. So I think it's those things that we don't necessarily or can't necessarily tell uh, a whole lot uh, of why maybe Felipe Franks is, you know, still head and shoulders above being named the starter. Yeah, well, I also think people have selective memories. So Franks was improving every single week mm -hmm. until the Georgia game. And then in the Georgia game, it was sort of, you know, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. Um, you know, if he he hit that throw down the middle, if maybe he hits one more play, people think about that Georgia game very, very differently. Then obviously laid an egg against Missouri. So that's sort of the taste in your mouth. And then with the start against South Carolina, <laughs> you know, it was like, all right, here we go again. And it's kind of felt like that, but then he was able to bring him from behind and really played a key role in that. Now, you know, he is not going to put up Baker Mayfield type numbers. I don't think that's what we should expect, but I also don't think you throw a true freshman in, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the late stage in the season and get the same thing. So, um, you know, Hey, I, I think when you compare Franks to Francois, um, it's actually a reasonably 
favorable comparison for Florida. And, you know, when you compare a few more things to Florida State, it's also a pretty favorable comparison for Florida. Um, but, you know, we've, we talked about this after the Missouri game. Like, this offense is a puzzle, and none of the quarterbacks necessarily fit perfectly. Um, Jones, I think, showed that he has the skill set to fit perfectly, but there wasn't anything that jumped off the screen at me when I was watching it going, oh, wow, he needs to be a starter. Um, you know, at, at least when you're watching Trask, you can look and go, oh, wow, he does that really well. And I see Frank struggle with that. You know, you maybe don't see some of the things that he struggles with just because he hasn't been on the field enough. But, you know, there are things that Frank's excels at. So, um, yeah, I, I think, <laughs> I mean, clearly Frank's going to start against Florida State. He deserves to do so. He's gotten better throughout the year, and we'll see what he's got. Well, I didn't uh, really think about it. And as long as nothing bad happens, so, so you know, uh, knock on wood, if you believe in that type of stuff, you just said Franks will start against Florida State. So here we go. This is what probably since 2009, the first time the quarterback has started every game throughout the season. Yeah, well, that sort of goes back to some of the um, some of the stats that have been coming out recently about the offensive line. Yeah, and where the quarterbacks aren't getting sacked all that much. They may be getting hit a few times, but they're not getting sacked a whole lot. Um, the Missouri game was really the only one where I can remember him having to run around a little bit. And even then it was kind of because they, yeah. they, they were daring them to throw and they, I think, and they yeah, I think do it in that go, game. Go back to the what Kentucky game, probably where yeah. it was probably where they were pressured time and time again. Yeah. But even then Frank's just been able to get the ball yeah. out when there's been pressure there, there hasn't been very rarely has there been a guy coming free on a blitz and that goes, that goes back to the offensive line. It also goes back to the running backs. So, you know, Jordan Scarlett has been a, uh, you know, he's been someone that I've always looked at and said, he, he doesn't do a very good job of pass protection this year. He's been excellent. And that has allowed Florida's offense to at least um, when there's a blitz, be able to pick it up. They've done a good job with that. Now they don't necessarily always move the pile. Like you would like to see in the rushing game, depending upon who they're playing against. But again, if you look at their, you know, if you look at their yards per rush, they're ranked 24th in the country against FBS opponents. So they're right up there. I think John Hevesy's done a really good job with that offensive line. I think we need to give him credit for that. You know, one of the things that we, we sort of said was, you know, early in the year, the offensive line was a weakness. I don't, I don't think that's the case anymore. I don't think you def, I don't think you look at it and say it's a definitive strength, but you certainly don't look at it and say it's a weakness. And, you know, hey, I think that was reflect- my bold prediction coming into this year. Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> well, mine was that Franks would start every game. There so, we go. So we both, uh, I think we, we got both it. came out ahead, but uh, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, Franks is getting rid of the ball quickly. He's he's making his mm-hmm. decision and getting it out for the most part. Sometimes he's a little bit late on some of the throws down the middle, and that gets a little bit dicey. But he gets the ball out relatively quickly, and then and some of the time that's designed, right? I mean, yep. those little swing passes, it's designed to get it out, um, which is part of Mullen putting his guys in a position to succeed. You know, I mean, Nussmeyer and and McElwain put their players in a position last year where you know they were in third and thirteen a lot, and then you're running that play action on third and thirteen. There was just you know there was no time to throw the ball and you were getting drilled i mean that game against michigan frank's had no time to throw the ball yeah. and and there there hasn't been a game this year where i felt like the offensive line was just completely overmatched and and last year there were definitely games that felt like that including the game against florida state and so um you know it'll be interesting to see how how far that offensive line has come because it's pretty much the same defensive line yeah. burns is still a monster there on the florida state defensive line and we'll get to see how they hold up and and see whether see what they've learned over the past year with mullen here and with some of the newfound confidence that they have well you mentioned it uh yeah the sacks 27 sacks oh uh, that uh, uh I, mean, I guess that's the you know sacks allows yeah 14 uh, the Gators have only allowed. So my bad. Sacks allowed. The only Gators have only given up 14 sacks in 11 games. So that's uh, tied for 20th in college football and third in the SEC. Yeah. Well, and so it's 29th when you look at sack percentage. So you know, based on number of called passes, mm-hmm. they're at 4.7 percent of the time they go back, they get sacked. You compare that to Florida State. Florida State's at 7.3 percent. Francois <laughs> getting drilled a lot, and you know that the, the offense. We'll talk a lot about how the offense at Florida State is not great. Yeah. But uh, but one of the reasons it's not is because the quarterback's getting drilled. And you know, if you if you look at what Florida was doing last year, they were sort of in that realm. The quarterback was getting hit a lot. Some of that was on the quarterback and and you know to your point you talked about you talked about emory jones making pre-snap adjustments and things like that one of the things it does indicate is that felipe franks is getting the team into the right play Mm -hmm. that you know 
he's running a lot of RPOs, which means he's got a lot of different options. He's also being able to check at the line of scrimmage, whether he wants to be in a pass or whether he wants to be in a run based on what the defense is giving him. He's always been very good at seeing what's happening pre-snap and making a decision. The issue is going to be if they start to make adjustments post-snap, he struggled in, in those cases. And then you know, the game against Missouri was just a little bit of an outlier where he struggled no matter what was going yeah. on. Um, you know, And if Franks puts up another performance like that, they're going to struggle to score points, and it's probably going to be a very close game against Florida State. Um, you know, but, it, but if he plays you know, kind of like he did against Georgia or maybe like he did against Vanderbilt or, or Tennessee, then obviously the game will, will tilt towards Florida. Ah, right, Will. So we kind of just naturally went into it, but uh, it's that time, Will. It's the it's the season finale. Uh, it's a five and six FSU team. It's a five game winning streak over the Gators. It's time for the Gators, uh, you know, to take back the state of Florida. No excuse for this one, Will. You know, I haven't said that many times this year when talking about this Florida team, and haven't really had to. Uh, but this is one of those uh, no excuses games here. You know, Florida is the better team, has been the better team all season has proven more against a tougher schedule. So I, I don't think I'd say, I, you know, I didn't think I'd say this coming into the season, but, you know, but things change, expectations change. You know, Florida's best game is better than FSU's best game. For the 2018 season, with the way these teams have played, you can confidently say Florida's best game is better than FSU's best game. It starts with coaching, and that's where I think Florida has a marked advantage. Uh, now, does that mean FSU can't win? No, it doesn't. You know, this game has to be played and, and played well uh, on the Florida side. But going into this game, this is a game Florida should win. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, so Florida's best game is better than Florida State's. Florida's worst game is better than Florida State's worst game. So, you know, when you think about probabilities and and sort of if each team plays to a certain level, Florida should come out ahead. Um, you know, if you look at the, the average FPI of the teams that Florida State has beaten is 70.8. The average for Florida is 47.8. And then the average team Florida's lost to is the FPI is 18.0 and Florida State is 26.2. And that's even with losing to Clemson and Notre Dame. So there are a couple bad, you know, not bad ones, but Miami, NC State, Syracuse, and Virginia Tech. Those are sort of middle of the road teams. I mean, they're decent, but they're not they're not juggernauts by any stretch of the imagination. And and they have not been particularly close. So that game, the 24 to 3 loss to Virginia Tech, I think half their plays wound up being tackles behind the line of scrimmage. You know, Syracuse was 30 to 7. They couldn't they couldn't block anybody on the defensive line. Um, you know, the the Miami game was close, but then you go to Clemson, it was just a complete blowout. The Notre Dame game wasn't close at all. And then the Boston College game, um, it was surprising to see them pull that out just because it didn't feel like their offense could move the ball at all. But, you know, 22 to 21 against Boston College is not necessarily something that's going to instill fear into me um, when, I'm, when Boston, I'm thinking about playing against Florida State. Boston College's best win this year might be Temple. <laughs> well, I mean, again, I, I think I think we can all say that I, I think it's pretty clear, you know, Bill and I have written a couple of articles on recruiting on the past couple of days over at Read and Reaction. And one of the things that became pretty clear is that the ACC is just I mean, they're reasonably strong, especially when you incorporate Notre Dame. They're probably the second best conference if you include Notre Dame in that conference. Um, but it's not even close to the SEC. And so, granted, Florida hasn't had to play Alabama this year, but they did have to play Georgia. They did have to play LSU. They did have to play Mississippi State, and they did have to play Kentucky. Surprisingly, Missouri is pretty high in the FPI, too. So, you know, really, the Colorado State game, the FPI was 116th. The um, Then they had the two cupcakes against Idaho and Charleston Southern. But other than that, the worst team they've played is Vanderbilt, who ranks 54th. Oh. Um, you, look, you look at Florida State, they played Louisville. They played Wake Forest. Um, you know, they played Virginia Tech and Syracuse. Those are four teams that are ranked worse. Well, I guess Virginia Tech is a little bit worse than Vandy. Syracuse is a little bit better when you look at the, again, FPI. Yeah. You can use whatever ranking system you want. Um, but at the end of the day, this, the story is Florida's played a lot better teams and has played better against those better teams. So, um, you know, they've lost by an average of 17 points. Florida State's lost by an average of 24. Um, Florida's won by an average of 16 points, and Florida State's won by an average of 11. So, um, you know, overall, just when you look at the team comparisons, you know, again, Florida State has been outscored by 10 points a game. Um, Florida's outscored its opponents by about five. So when you look at just FBS opponents, so um, – you know, Florida's the better team. There aren't any excuses. Florida needs to win. And it's just so important for Florida to turn a tie, Will, you know, to continue to to, to continue this nightmare season for, for Florida State. Turn to turn the tide of the rivalry. You know, there there there's word of recruits wavering 
uh, on their commitments to Florida State. And you know, much of it is based on the the bad season that the Seminoles are having. You know, Florida could reap the benefits of some in, in some of those cases. You know, it sends word in, in the state that the Gators are the team on the upward trend. Not FSU, not Miami, the Gators. And there's a lot of importance in just you know keeping the mojo of the 2008 season going and going into a, uh, a better bowl game going into a 2019 season where you know when you look at the big three it's Florida that's the, at the top of that program I mean, there's a just there's a lot of importance riding on you know just you know more than just winning this game there's a lot that goes behind it as well yeah well we talked a little bit after the Missouri game that it felt like that it felt like Florida might have lost its opportunity sort of for this perfect storm where Miami and Florida State were really struggling. But this is an opportunity. Now, I mean, you know, you beat Florida State 24 to 21. Um, I mean, it's a win and that's important, but I don't know that that necessarily puts the puts, puts your foot on their throat. You win this one 42 to 7. And all of a sudden, it has much more of an impact, I think, on what a recruit might think, particularly because the recruits might be the only people who are in attendance at Doug Campbell this weekend. <laughs> so, you know, and, and it's always a good thing to go in and beat your rival in their stadium when they've got the recruits there. And, you know, the last time Florida won this was 2012. And even a couple of years before that, after after Muschamp took over, they hadn't won it. So it's, what, I think one out of the last eight or something yeah, that Florida's like that. won. I mean, there, there's a reason that Florida's been behind Florida State in recruiting. Um, some of it is that Jimbo Fisher, Jimbo Fisher was a really good recruiter, um, but some of it is is that they haven't been able to beat him. And so this is really an opportunity to do that. Now, I, I tend to think that the wave of recruits that would come from a victory over Florida State is more 2020 based. But I mean, you oh, yeah, I'm only, I, yeah, I'm only thinking of two guys, three at the most, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, you know, two or three guys can yeah. really swing a class, especially if it's somebody like Akeem Dent or somebody like that who's up high <laughs> in in the class. Now, again, I think he's sort of wavering towards Alabama, not wavering yeah. towards Florida. Fuller, but, Fuller, and Hunter. There we go. Well, those, are, those are the two. Yeah, and you know, so obviously, you pull those guys away from Tallahassee and you bring them to Gainesville. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about how four-star guys, even ranked in that two hundred to three hundred bracket, are important because about you know one out of two of them work out as as full-time starters the more you can fill your class with those guys the better off you are so um lots of importance on the recruiting side of this um, both for this year and for 2020 um, but you know you got to beat your rivals that was something that urban meyer always did i mean if you look at the way he built the program i mean you know if you, if you were to say hey nine and three is that a successful season well that's what urban meyer did in 2005 um, but he beat tennessee he beat georgia and he beat florida state now, yeah, imagine, you know, imagine if that nine and three was a loss to Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida State. <laughs> well, I mean, you wouldn't have liked it. Well, you wouldn't have liked it, and I'm not sure the recruits would have either. Now, yeah. now, you know, sort of late in that year is when he signed guys like Tebow and Percy Harvin and that sort of stuff. I think the only the only uh, five star was an offensive lineman uh, that he had in that class until after the season ended and was able to pull in those really big guys. So hopefully Mullen's able to replicate that. And, you know, we're talking about a national championship next year, but the reality is, is you don't win a national championship without beating Georgia and without beating Florida state. Those are the two teams that they're going to have to beat. Now Taggart's made it a little bit easier. I think just based on sort of some of his missteps and some of the things that he's done in his first year. But, um, you know, you got to go out and beat them, and and this is Mullen's real test because you get measured at Florida by when you go out and you beat your rivals. Um, so certainly successful against Tennessee and LSU, not successful against Georgia, and we'll see what he can do against Florida State. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. You just named off the teams there, and yeah, I mean it is important. You go back and you, and you mentioned that 2005 season, Urban Myers for a season, and a ton of recruits that he brought in, and and you're right. You know, maybe a, a close victory versus Florida State doesn't send the kind of signals that you know that type of performance back in 2005 did when it sent shock waves uh, through through the state. And uh, you go get Tebow, you go get Spikes, you go get Harvin, and. You know that was a, that that game. You know, being in that stadium for that 2005 game, you really you really could feel that the tide was turning into uh you know look, Florida had come off you know Ron Zook beating at Florida State the year before that, but you know it was more it, it was more than just getting a second straight victory. You could really sense it. You could really feel it. And I think you would in a similar type of performance like that by you know putting your foot on their throat i think you're right i didn't i didn't think about it and that point of it but i was, I was also asking i had a radio interview here in jacksonville before we come on here and we were talking about you know th this season you, you, if you lose to florida state 
or if you beat Florida State, you know, what it means for, for the season as a whole. And I know just last week we were looking you know, after the winner versus versus South Carolina. You know, the reason I, uh, I made sure I labeled the episode and titled the episode successful SEC season was because it, it, it has been. But overall, when you go back and look at it, a lot hinges on the good feelings going into recruiting season into the 2019 season if you win this game. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it an unsuccessful season if they lose to Florida State. But a lot of people will. Well, sure, a lot of people will, and a lot of people who are being <laughs> recruited might say it. Some might say it is too. Um, I, I think there are plenty of guys who have lost um, games to rivals to start with, and then have have turned things around. I mean, I think you can look at Clemson. I'm pretty sure they lost to South Carolina a bunch when Dabo Swinney first took over. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I'm in no means saying it's an indicator of the future. I, I don't mean to make it sound like that. If that's what yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, so I guess that's the question, right? Is yeah. whether whether you're whether you're nine and three or whether you're or whether you're eight and four doesn't really dictate what happens next year insofar as the fact that if you're bringing in the recruits you should bring in, then you should get better regardless of whether you beat Florida state. Really what this does is I think sort of set a positive tone for the fan base Mm -hmm. in a, you know, let's be honest. The Florida fan base is, is split in many ways about its quarterback, about, um, you know, sort of the, the path forward. And this is, this is an opportunity for Mullen to sort of put his stamp on the season and say, look, I'm going to beat the rivals. The rivals are more important. Um, and that was something urban Meyer always said is, Hey, the rivalry games are more important than a regular game. It's not just a regular Saturday. These are the games we need to come out and win. And, you know, you have to win these games if you're going to be successful long-term now, you know, if he goes three and one and this is the one he loses, I don't think that's, you know, over the next four years, I don't think it's the end of the world. I'm not going to say it's an unsuccessful season, but I would say that I'm really looking forward to seeing Florida play UCF in the peach bowl. And so (laughs) so I want them to win this game so, so that we can, uh, so that we can hopefully quiet down the people in Orlando. Yeah, I mean, and I have seen it floating around on Twitter a little bit. Can you can you imagine a scenario where you end the season, you beat Florida State, and that sets up a New Year's Six game against UCF in a Peach Bowl, and then you open up next year with Miami. So, you know, you take you, you have a chance of taking care of two of the uh, big three, and then the up and coming uh, UCF Knights there in a, in a bowl game. So, you could quickly take a stranglehold on the state of Florida if it works out that way. Yeah, well, and, and you know. Like like I said earlier, it was it's almost been a perfect storm with Miami struggling and Florida State struggling. If you get a shot at UCF, then you can then you can take care of that as well. All of a sudden, people are saying Florida's king of the state. If you're king of the state, do people take a second look at you? Do you start to get some of these guys from out of state, guys like Chris Steele, um, you know, or even some of the guys from Mississippi that they've been trying to get? I know Pickering is taking a second look at Florida. We'll see whether that you know, whether that materializes in anything, but again, if you can, if you can build a buzz around your program, there's an opportunity to bring guys in who are going to help you build that program. And then the other thing is there's probably quite a few guys who are going to be coming back next year. Mm-hmm. So it's, so it's not like losing your class and you're going to have to replace all those guys. And next year is a, is a situation where we look at it and say, Oh, this team is losing so much. How are they going to be able to replace them? I mean, you know, CC Jefferson, has been good. I don't think he's been great this year. I think the the guys who've really made a difference have been Zaniga and Polite. Doesn't sound like Polite's going to come back. Sounds like he might yeah. be a top fifteen draft pick. He's gonna he's gonna retire moms. Well, you know, hey, good for him. I mean, <laughs> exactly. that's what he should do, right? Yep. I'm I far be it for me to tell a guy to turn down whatever twenty or twenty five million dollars, whatever that guy makes yeah. at that at that draft slot. So they are going to lose a few of those guys. But you know, Dan Mullen made a point I think last week of talking about the number of pros on the team. Yeah. Um, and, and indicated there aren't a whole lot of them and that he's going to try to be honest with the guys who do come to him. So if there's a lot of guys coming back next year, then you're not necessarily even really relying on um, relying on a ton of recruits to come in. The recruits are coming in to bolster areas of need, not necessarily coming in to play major roles. And that's kind of what happened in 2006. I mean, you know, Chris Leak was entrenched at quarterback. Tim Tebow comes in and fills a role. Now, Percy Harvin was just special and so had a role almost immediately. But, you know, a lot of those guys who contributed to the national championship in 2006 were not, you know, you you wouldn't have looked at them and said, oh, those guys are definitive pros. And, you know, three years later, you were looking up and they were all playing in the NFL. So, um yeah, Florida State is a big deal. I, I'm not going to say it's not, 
but I'm also not going to say that this is a make or break thing. I honestly don't think this game has a whole lot to do with the 2019 recruiting class. I think 2020 is where it makes the biggest impact, but again, you got to start building momentum and Florida's recruiting class for 2019, um, does not look like it's, I mean, you know, best case scenario, you're probably ending up fifth, sixth, seventh in the country um, and probably fourth or fifth in the SEC. Uh, you know, that they're going to have to get some top five classes at some point along the way and beating these guys is one way to get there. All right, we'll have some fun in just a second because there are some ugly stats for Florida <laughs> State this year. And we'll get to those numbers. But first, have you ever wanted to place a bet but didn't because you were afraid to pick the wrong team? Well, that's where my bookie comes in. This Thanksgiving, it's finally possible for you to get a 100% refund on your bet if you lose it. They have the Turkey Day free play that you can bet on to spread on either the Bears or the Lions. If it wins, you win. If it loses, my bookie will give your money back up to $250. You cannot lose. It's no risk and all gravy. My bookie offers such a great product, and there has literally never been a better time to try them out. Unless your sports book is offering something like this, you should make the switch. And I look, I've never heard of a of a sports book doing a freebie like this. So kind of a you know the the turkey day free play is what uh, my book is calling it. Hey, these guys are trustworthy, fast, and helpful. So I know they're good for it. And if you're new to sports betting and have lots of questions, that's okay too because my bookie my bookie's patient customer service can walk you through any questions you have about how betting works. So sign up this week, and my bookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It's a great way to bank even more money when you win. So log on to my bookie right now and use promo code Gators to get 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code Gators for a 50% deposit bonus. You don't need a promo code for your Turkey Day free play. If you lose, we'll credit the money back to your account automatically. So what are you waiting for? Sign up today and don't miss out and bet at my bookie. So, uh, well, it's, uh, you know, it's, I thought about, you know, Florida's best versus FSU's best. It's easily seen in the stats. Now, of course, we, we know you have to play the game. Can't base everything off numbers, but there's some ugly numbers for Florida State, unreal numbers for a Florida State team to be exact. And look, we've seen it in recent years for a Florida offense and, and an offense that is just putrid. And it, it kind of in Willie Tiger's first year is shifted there. So uh, statistical comparison that uh, the University of Florida has sent out with comparing they did do this for every opponent here, but total offense for Florida State an FBS rank of 101. That's 13th in the ACC with 367.4 yards. Total offense 101st in the nation. Scoring offense 111th in the nation. 22.6. Rushing offense, 127th in the nation, dead last in the ACC, 86.7 yards. Their passing offense, much better, 24th ranked in college football, second in the ACC, 280 yards uh, pretty much there uh, per game. So, Will, I mean, total offense, 101st. Scoring offense, 111th. Rushing offense, 127th. I mean, they look, they have more talent than than, than what those numbers show. It got ugly, and it got ugly fast for Florida State. Yeah, well, it's it's lethal simplicity, my friend. Lethal <laughs> simplicity. So. Hey, apparently, they went back to that against Boston College, and that's why they won. Oh man! So they're <laughs> averaging two and a half yards per carry. Like when you, fa- I mean, obviously in college that factors in sacks, but two and a half yards per carry. Florida averages five point one. So that yeah. right there is where Florida's got to win the game. Yeah. Right. I mean, typically you watch a game, the team that rushes for the most yards wins. Um, if Florida can double up what Florida State is doing on the ground, they're going to win the game. They're going to win it going away. I mean, look at Cam Akers, who is a huge recruit coming out, has 147 rushes for 667 yards. Jacques Patrick has 98 rushes for 326. So he's only averaging 3.3. Nobody else has more than 50 yards rushing. Nobody else has worth 50 yards rushing. You look at P. Ryan, he's got 115 rushes for 621. Scarlett has 102 rushes for 629. So basically, Florida has two backs who have replicated the production of Cam Akers, um, but at a much more efficient pace. And then you got Franks, 
who's got 84 rushes for 230 yards. <laughs> Pierce, 59 for 410. Tony has 18 for 199. And even Malik Davis has 13 for 61. So Malik Davis would be the third leading rusher on Florida State's team were, wow. he, on, were he on their team. And he went out in what, the fourth game? Well, and it's not as if he was getting a whole – no, did yeah. he go out against Kentucky? But, oh, uh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, second yeah. game. So, yeah, yeah he's got 13 game. rushes for 61 yeah, yards. Yeah. And he'd be the third leading rusher on Florida State from everything that I that I looked at earlier today. So, um, they can't run the ball. And, you know, we saw it against Virginia Tech in that opening game. We've seen it throughout the year. They really struggle to run the ball. Um, I believe Akers even had like an 80-yard rush in that game against Virginia Tech, which was like their biggest play. Oh, yeah. So, he's got 660 for the whole year. So, you take that one out that one away and and where are they at you know so um you know they're gonna have to throw the ball that's what they're gonna have to do now florida's been a little bit susceptible to the big play Mm -hmm. but part of that has been that they've sort of gotten on a swivel where the linebackers have gotten out of their gaps on running plays and then have gotten a little bit flustered and have gotten beaten in coverage now the one guy i do think florida has to watch out for is trey mckitty the tight end has 25 catches for 251 yards He's the guy who, you know, Voshan Joseph has sort of been hot and cold in terms of his ability to, to consistently execute coverages against tight ends. Against Missouri and South Carolina, he really struggled. Against Colorado State and Tennessee and, and LSU, he really did a good job. So, um, you know, we'll see how he does there. And then Tamori and Terry, their wide receiver, has 32 catches for 666 yards, so averaging almost 21 yards a catch. Um, he's their deep threat, and that's a place where Florida has gotten beaten um, pretty consistently. So. You know, again, against Missouri and, and and even against South Carolina, they got beat deep a few times. So those are the two guys on Florida State I'd really watch out for. Um, but, you know, if you can't run the ball and you're one-dimensional, it really feels like Florida's defensive end should be able to take over. Yeah, that, that's, you know, that is the question for me is can this you know, defensive line get to where they can rush the quarterback? They, you know, they, even they haven't been the same since the Mississippi State-LSU game. Uh, as well in, in pressuring the quarterback. Yeah, you, you mentioned Tamori and Terry uh, as well. And Naquan Murray, he's their leading receiver, 51 catches for 709 yards. So I, I, it will be interesting to see where they line up C.J. Henderson. Do they want to stop the big play down the field with Terry or Murray, who's the guy you know who seems to, do, to be the favorite target of DeAndre Francois? Do they move? You know, I'm sure a lot of it's to do with the formations Florida State comes out in and, and where they – try and match up and get away from Henderson and who they want on Henderson as well. But it will be interesting to see if, if Henderson follows one of those wide receivers around. Well, it's also going to be really interesting to see what Grantham does because in the past, one of the things is, you know, one of the reasons that Jake Fromm was so successful on third down, particularly third and long, I mean, Florida actually did a really good job of forcing them into some third and longs, getting some tackles for losses. And he was able to complete touchdown passes on, you know, third and 13, third and 12, things like that. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether Grantham has to bring an extra guy. Because mm-hmm. if you have to bring an extra guy to get pressure, then you're going to be in trouble. The thing, the thing I keep going back to, though, is if you can't run the ball and you're constantly in third and eight, usually you can't run the ball because the opposition is getting penetration. If they're getting penetration, they're going to be in your quarterback's face. And if they're in your quarterback's face, you don't need to bring blitzes. And so if they don't have to bring blitzes, if they can get pressure with three or four guys rushing, it's going to be a long day for 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 Francois just because, you know, yeah, Terry might be able to get open deep, but the other guys are mostly possession receivers and against the zone, you know, you would hope that those zones would be able to close quick enough that you'd be able to take advantage of that. So, you know, I, th- I think Florida state will hit a couple of passes that, that, yeah. that sort of prolong drives, but really the reason I look at Terry and the reason I would put Henderson on Terry is that if Florida state isn't hitting explosive plays, then they're not going to move the ball. And you know, if you can prevent the big chunk plays from being a large, from being a big portion of the game, then you're going to win because they're not going to put up more than 20 points. And um, you know, that's that's sort of been the pattern over the uh, you know over the year that when they've played, you know, a team like Clemson, they scored 10. A team like Notre Dame, they scored 13. 22 against Boston College, three against Virginia Tech, seven against Syracuse. It wasn't until they played worse teams like Northern Illinois and Louisville and even Miami and Wake Forest that they scored any at all. So. Um, you know, against the better teams with the better defenses, they've really struggled, and I think that's kind of what we'll see this time as well. Yeah, so I go back and mention their passing offense is you know, 24th in college football. Passing efficiency, though, 86 at 128.47. 
red zone scoring well. So something to look out for here. 117th in the nation as well. So my, that probably goes back to if you can't run the ball in the red zone, you're not going to score with the way DeAndre Francois and that offensive line not being able to protect him. You know, they get there. So if you can't run the ball in the red zone and you're asked to pass and it's kind of telegraphed, uh, that, that probably plays into it as well uh, in this offense. So, you know, it, it is – you know, the offensive line for Florida State, you go and, you, as you mentioned uh, multiple times, go back to the first game of the season. And ever since then, they've gotten a little better the last few weeks there as they've kind of figured out some pieces there. But they also, um, you know, as far as protecting uh, Francois, I'll go back to that Boston College game last week. They protected him better than they have for the most part of the season. But he was just inaccurate pretty much all night. Of course, he hit the big play at the end. But you took his performance as a whole, and it wasn't all that great. So I kind of agree. You know, maybe the kind of LSU performance there, because you saw Polite and Zaniga being able to get most of the pressure, and then you saw Vashawn Joseph as that fourth guy living in the backfield as well against uh, LSU. So if you get that type of performance where he's your fourth guy, then yeah, you should feel pretty good about your chances and stuff in this Florida State offense. Well, I mean, you mentioned their red zone scoring, but just red zone attempts per game, they're 114th in the country. So not only are they not scoring, but they're not getting there. I mean, everything about this offense looks Nussmeier. Nussmeier like, like, like everything I look hey, at. And if they do get there, they can't even rely on field goals. They are <laughs> tied for a hundred and third field goal percentage. So, so look, we said these numbers were ugly, and they are. They didn't look. And, and I'm not saying the number. You know, we 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 can look at numbers and spin them. There's no spin in these numbers. You still have to, but you still have to go out there and play. Oh man, well they're 114th in time of possession, 119th in giveaways per game. They're hey, they're fourth in the country in in punt yards. So, so, so they got that going for them, uh, but that's just because they're punting it more often than their opponent. The, the offense has been really bad, yeah. really, really bad. And um, you know we'll get into their defense in a, in a few minutes. But the the reality is, if Florida gives up more than twenty points to Florida State, it's it's really an indictment on Grantham's game 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 planning because this game should be. I mean, if Florida State wins, they're going to have to win twenty to seventeen, twenty to thirteen, something like that, mm-hmm. or get a turnover that's just backbreaking. That you know, some sort of pick six or something that that gets them from thirteen to twenty. Um, you know, I, I don't think they have the horses. I mean, they've got the players. Yeah. I don't think the scheme and the uh, and and the the way it's been executed this year the pretends lethal, anything more than twenty points twenty points a game. The lethal simplicity. Oh man! So I, I am uh, I, I'm looking for. I really hope Florida has a pink backpack on the sideline after they get a turnover in this game. That's all. <laughs> that's all I'm asking for. All I'm asking for is for them to troll troll the backpack, man. Uh, yeah, we mentioned sacks allowed. Will 31 sacks allowed for Florida State? That's tied for 109th in the nation as well. So, I mean, holy moly. I mean, I, I knew the numbers were bad and I knew the offense was bad. I didn't know it was this bad. Oh, man. Well, I mean, you know, even when you guys were coming back from the Kentucky game, um, you guys were live on Periscope and I was watching them play against Samford. And, you know, they couldn't stop any, they couldn't stop Sanford and the offense was, I mean, scoring enough against the one double A team, but not, not necessarily, not necessarily really lighting it up. And they're behind for a good portion of that game. And I think that's interesting because a lot of times you pull out the FBS games to try to, you know, say, okay, Florida beat Idaho last week by, by, you know, what, 53 points. So that sort of skews the numbers. And I think that's true when you look at the Idaho game and the, uh, and the Charleston Southern game, but you can't do that with the Sanford game. Cause it was, it was like a six point victory or something. And, and, you know, you need to incorporate that. Cause I do think it says something about the, um, about the level of the team. And really when they don't come ready to play, that's what happens. Now I assume they'll come ready to play because it's a rival, it's a home game and, you know, they're playing for bowl eligibility, but um, you know, if things start to go South a little bit, you can envision that, um, you know, that, that there might be a little bit of give up there just because of sort of the situation and where they're at. All right, Will, defense, and I thought the defense numbers were better as well, but looking at it, total defense, 76 in the FBS uh, there. So they're, they're including uh, all the games, not just the FBS opponents here. Uh, giving up 405 yards a game here. Scoring defense, 85th in the nation, uh, giving 30.6 up, uh, 30.6 points uh, a game given up as well. Uh, rushing defense, respectable 35th there. So, you know, if Florida's going to run the ball, it's going to be against a pretty good uh, FSU front. But 117th in passing defense with 270 yards given up through the air. So, I mean, the, the question is, the identity of Florida is a running team 
and it should be, and it should be for this game as well. But if, but if they come out trying to take advantage of this FSU secondary early, can Felipe Franks do it against a passing defense that's 117th in the nation? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the number of yards in the passing game, they've given up quite a few. When you look at it at actual yards per attempt, they're much more respectable. So they're 41st in the country, giving up 6.8 yards per attempt. It's actually better than Florida is because Florida's 56th. Um, you know, and the underlying, the underlying statistics, so they're 23rd overall, giving up 4.8 yards per play. Um, which should translate to them giving up about 20 points per game. They've given up 31.1 in those FBS in those FBS games. So the defense has played worse from a scoring perspective than I feel like they have um, overall. I feel like the defense has actually been reasonable um, compared to you know compared to what what some of the other teams have been. Again, though, when you start factoring in that Stanford that Stanford game, they got lit up, right? So right. or Stanford game, they got lit up, and so. Um, you know, who's the real Florida State? I think it's probably the team against FBS opponents. So, you know, they've given up 394.6 yards per game against FBS opponents. Florida's given up 370.2. So really, when you look at the defenses, they're pretty close to equivalent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one thing I will say is that they're 122nd in opponent red zone attempts per game. So teams are getting into the red zone quite a bit. But I think, again, that has more to do with the offense than those the defense. Um, they're 115th in takeaways a game. Florida's 31st in takeaways a game. Um, and and uh, so it has I, calmed down recently, but of course, you yeah. know. Well, sure. But I yeah. mean, you know, 115th in takeaways a game indicates you're not getting a whole lot of picks. <laughs> At you're all. not getting a lot of explosive plays and fumbles yeah. and different things like that. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, when you look at the scoring differential, which usually tells a better story than. Um, which usually tells a better story than your overall record. I mean, but Florida State is is really sort of a four and eight team based on its scoring differential. Um, when you against FBS opponents, when you look at what they should be based on their yards per play, so they're gaining four point nine on offense, they're giving up four point eight on defense. So as bad as their offense is, that's essentially what their defense is doing on the other side as well, which is the mark of a five hundred team. Right. So a team that's going to be right in that five and six range, which is really where they've been. Um, I think some of the scoring is getting skewed by the blowouts to Notre Dame and and Clemson yeah. and things like that as well. Though some of the underlying stats may be skewed because when Clemson gets ahead by fifty, they just decide to run the ball the rest of the game and punt as opposed to really going after the. You know, I mean, what's like once you've got forty five on them, <laughs> what are you really trying to do at that point? So well, Florida has forty five on them. I hope the next score is fifty two. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there you go, man. So, you know, again, I, I, the advantage here for Florida is on offense. I think on defense, um, Florida's probably Florida's given up a few more big plays. Florida has a worse yards per play allowed overall. Um, I, I think you run the ball because that's where your strength is, and that's how you're going to win it. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't seen a game this year where Florida has come out and Franks has been able to carry them. I don't think that's their identity. I don't think that, think that's who they can be. And so they're going to have to come out, and they're going to have to run the ball. Now, you know, against against South Carolina in that second half, we sort of mentioned that they had found something with Tony outside blocking the wide receivers outside blocking, and then having some uh, misdirection off of those formations. I think those are the kinds of things they're going to have to do. They're going to have to get some over pursuit by Florida State, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily trick plays, but just misdirection plays. Um, one of the things you know you mentioned yesterday in your recap, the play where Emory Jones sort of faked the run and then found Pierce in the end zone for the touchdown. I think one of those is going to be available for Franks. He has been, he has run so much that I think that kind of thing is going to be open. I think they're going to have to trick him a little bit. I, I, I do think that Florida state's defense is pretty good. Um, you know, the, the nice part is, is that the offense is so bad that the defense is sort of, you know, it, it really does. I, I joked a little bit, but it really is McElwainian. I mean, the idea that the defense is sitting there, it's pretty good, but eventually it collapses because the offense just can't ever get anything going. And we felt like that for the past three years and maybe even longer than that, um, you know, through some of I think we felt like that way through the Muschamp era. It just got a whole lot worse during the McElwainian <laughs> era. And, and certainly we're, we're well past that at this point in, in Dan Mullen's era. And, uh, and Florida State's experiencing it, and I couldn't be happier. Well, well and, and think about the big games and the games that Florida has played, the better defenses that they've played, and the trick plays have been there. Uh, you go to Mississippi State and a, and, and a touchdown pass from Tony. Uh, go to the LSU game and, and they need a score, and they do the crawl 
uh, throwback and the Georgia game where they opened up with a flea flicker. So uh, I would expect, you know, this is another big game just because of who it is, not necessarily you know, the record and all that, but who it is. You know, I, I agree. I, I do think you see some type of play or, or build of something that we, uh, you know, have seen, but necessarily haven't seen the, the full reveal of it yet. I, I do think you get that versus Florida State and, and good for Mullen because, you know, this is an important game to win there and, and do that. And as far as, you know, kind of seeing where, uh, yeah, I do agree, you know, go out wide, you know, with some misdirection and then hit them hard. And once you get that defense spread out, I think we'll kind of be uh, the game plan the Gators go with. Yeah, well, and one of the things that Frank's running particularly opens up is that it's a numbers game at that point. And so, you know, the thing that really made a difference against South Carolina was something that against Missouri they didn't do much of was, hey, if it's first and 10 and they're going to give you five guys in the box, take it. It's eight yards. You know, now it's it's not Nick Fitzgerald. It's not going to go for 80. But, you know, it'll go for eight, you're second and two, and then you move the ball. And they didn't do that against Missouri, even when they had the numbers. And so a lot of times P. Ryan and Scarlett were getting hit in the backfield and weren't really able to get going. Um, you know, I, I fully anticipate that Florida is going to come in and try to impose their will on Florida State more than anything because, you know, against Missouri, they fell behind pretty quickly. Missouri had a reasonably explosive offense, particularly in that game. And then Florida had to start to throw to try to sort of stay in it against South Carolina, they just said, you know, they said, screw it. Our offense is is running the ball. We're going to stick with it. And we're going to keep doing it that way. And we're able to get back into the game. I think against Florida State, because their offense has struggled so much, less than trick plays, it's probably more just imposing your will. I mean, you know, it may take a little while. You know, it may be one of those seven to three games or 13 to mm -hmm. six games or something like that, especially in the first half. But you would hope that in the third and the fourth quarter, the um, pressure that you're putting on the defense by continuously running P run and Scarlett and Pierce and Tony and Franks and just running those guys continuously that you will eventually start to wear them down, which is what happening in South Carolina. I mean, they were completely gassed in that fourth quarter, couldn't stop anybody. And, um, you know, that's something that sort of happened against Mississippi State as well. It was less obvious, but it was something where clearly Florida was able to move the ball better in the second half um, than in the first, and they were able to win that game because of it. So, um, yeah, you, they might throw a trick play in there too, but I really think this is one where you just say, hey, we're winning this one in the trenches or we're losing it in the trenches. And if, if Florida State comes out and absolutely shuts down the run game, then you got to tip your cap to them. But to mm -hmm. go out and throw the ball 40 times in this game when you know that your strength is running the ball and you know that their offense really isn't going to hurt you with big plays. Um, to me, I think you just got to, you just got to carry the rock and, and see if you can see if you can break down that defense. Agree there. Agree there. Some last few numbers here, uh, comparison stats for Florida state versus their, uh, their, all their opponents for the year. So points per game, FSU 22.6, their opponents 30.6 yards per rush, 2.7. Their opponents are getting 3.3 and rush yards per game, 86.7, their opponents, 135.5. Now, their passing stats are a little bit better here. Average uh, average per pass, 7.3 to 7 for our opponents. And per game, 280.6 to 274 opponents. So when it's all said and done well for the season, FSU, 5.2 yards per play, 5.1 for the opponent, pretty even there. And average per game, 367 for FSU. And then the big difference here, 405 for opponents. Yeah, it's interesting they haven't put Blackman in very much. I mean, he's played much better than Francois when he's been in the game. I'm going to um, ask uh, James Coleman that. I'll have him on the show tomorrow. And a lot of people are thinking something to do with a red shirt. And he played, you know, well, he threw for over 400 yards against NC State, uh, the one game he started. So I, I find it interesting as well. Well, so I mean, I guess the question is if you're saving his red shirt, you got the four games, does he have two left? Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know either. I don't know the answer to the question, but so I, I would say we might see Blackman if he's got a couple of games of eligibility left and if they were trying to trying to preserve that red shirt. And I guess from the Florida side, it'll be interesting to see whether Emory Jones comes into the game in some sort of package. Um, you know, the, again, to your point, this is a place where, um, you know, you go play Iowa in a bowl game. No one really cares from a recruiting perspective. I mean, the fans care and it's something we'll pay attention to and we'll break down and, and try to read something into. But the Florida State game means more to, to kids who might consider going to school. And to be honest, means more to the fan base. So um, I would expect uh, I would expect Mullen to pull out Emory Jones in this one if, if he's got it as opposed to as opposed to having him play significantly in the bowl game. Uh, yeah, he had his presser today, and uh, I, I couldn't really tell what he was trying to lean towards as far as Emory. Of course, if Frank gets hurt, of course, I, he is the guy. 
but you're, you're right in, in a package. Uh, Mullen, of course, and he shouldn't uh, kind of tip his hand uh, either way uh, coming up. And I just looked it up. Will Blackman's played in three games. So, you know, if, if they find it important enough to throw him in, if Francois starts off bad, uh, that, you know, we may see Blackman uh, coming into this game. Yeah, well, I mean, if Blackman comes into the game, I have a strange feeling. It, I mean, it probably means Florida's up by, you know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. two or three touchdowns. And if that's the case, then <laughs> forget it, man. Yeah. Like, two or three touchdowns. I haven't seen this offense be able to be able to put up that kind of that kind of uh, firepower at all all year. And I don't expect it. To, I don't expect it necessarily to continue. I mean, Blackman played really well in the game against NC State. He's played well when he's been in there. But even with that, their offensive numbers are putrid. So. Um, you, know, you can imagine they'd be even worse if they hadn't had him in there for this couple of games. But I, I, you know, Blackman's a decent player. I don't think he's a difference maker. If he was, they would have put him in there to start with. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I think really to me, the things are you got to limit the big plays. You can't give up big plays, especially early. Um, you got to stay in your gaps when you're playing defense for in, against the running game because they should not be able to blow you back off the ball. So if you stay in your gaps, you should be able to limit the running game. You know, give up two, three yards. Don't give up 17. Um, and from there, it, it's just a matter of make Francois beat you on third and long. And they have not proven the ability to do that all year long. And at some point, you're probably going to get a turnover if you get enough if you get enough pressure. And, uh, you know, that'll swing the game. Well, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fun one. Oh, man, I can't wait cannot wait i mean it's always fun when when this game's going on but for the last few years you've sort of known for was the underdog i mean i was at the 29 to 2 game where uh where treon was playing all game and my daughter was asking why he couldn't complete a pass and then um <laughs> you know and then then obviously last year i actually had some hope that florida was going to be able to win just because florida state had been had played so poorly but that didn't happen obviously and was sort of debacle early on um so it, it'll be nice to it'll it, it's nice to go into this game with with as much hope as we have, and certainly uh, the hope is that Florida will be able to carry through on that. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, what you got coming up on read and reaction this week? So I'm going to have a preview um, and uh, we'll sort of break down it more in depth into the film. I haven't had a real chance to go back and look at Francois and seeing why he's struggling and maybe how Florida will be able to take advantage. So uh, probably some film in terms of, you know, we've, we've broken down a lot of the numbers here, but you know, why is their offense so bad? What is the, what is the cause of it and how can Florida take advantage of that? And then conversely, you know, like I said, I think Florida state's defense has been reasonably good this year. Um, and has been a little bit unlucky. So the question is, why is that? Are they giving up big plays? Are they, are they, uh, bad field know, position, the bad, bad field yeah. position, all that sort of stuff. So try to dig into that a little bit deeper. Cause I'll be honest. I was really surprised to see some of their underlying defensive numbers when I looked at how many points they're giving up. Cause the points they're giving up are out of line with, with some of the underlying numbers that you would, that you'd expect to see. So, yep. So we'll be previewing the Florida state game, getting everybody ready for that and just getting excited for, ho for hopefully a Gator win and, and not just a win, but a, a statement win. Yeah. We would also a quick word on, uh, you know, Bill Sykes contributor, uh, for here and, uh, your site too, uh, posted a couple articles the last couple of weeks. And of course, uh, uh, a lot of it in relation to Florida and Florida State in the recruiting world. So you know, a lot of people uh, ha have checked that out, but just in case they have it, you know, a, a quick uh, a quick spill on what uh, readers can see there. Yeah, Bill's done a really good job. He had reached out to me, I don't know, about a month ago and asked if, if, if the site would be interested in having some recruiting work on it. And, you know, he broke down the chances of the big three, so Miami, Florida State, and Florida, of those teams bringing in top 10 recruiting classes and sort of historically what top 10 classes have uh, have demanded in terms of points when you look at the 24-7 composite and what that meant based on the teams that are ahead of them right now. So, um, you know, he broke it down, made some guesses in terms of the percentages that he thought teams would bring in top 10 classes. Um, and then I was able to follow that up with an article that talked about, um, you know, what does a top 10 class really mean? Cause it seems kind of arbitrary. So the question is, what does it mean? And the answer is it means different things for different conferences. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so that's what, that's what's on the site. And uh, you know, certainly appreciate Bill contributing and, and everybody reading it. Cause um, it's definitely been pretty highly trafficked. And, and I think people are excited to see where Mullen's going to take Florida recruiting as, as he moves forward, especially off of a successful year. Definitely good work there. Definitely good work. A lot of a lot of research. Well, and if you a lot of you people out there already know Bill, you know it's going to be in depth <laughs> as, <laughs> as it can be there. Much like uh, what Will and I 
do. Uh, Bill does it as well in, in the world of recruiting. So it's, uh, you know, yeah, plenty of uh, nuggets there uh, to chew on. So uh, yeah, this episode being recorded on Monday night, uh, you know, this week's kind of weird with, with Thanksgiving and the holiday. So uh, tomorrow on Tuesday, I will have James Coleman, former uh, Florida State uh, fullback uh, will join me as well as Mark Moses uh, on radio down in Orlando and Spectrum Sports down there as well. So plenty of plenty more of Florida, Florida State coverage uh, coming up. Uh, will, anything else? No, nah, man, just appreciate everybody reading the site. Appreciate all the all the feedback on, on the writing and also the feedback on Gators Breakdown and all the support. So I've had a few people uh, – direct message and also tweet about, you know, them appreciating the amount of yep. time we put in and, and, you know, we appreciate everybody allowing us to put in the time to do this. Cause you know, you don't have to listen to us. You don't have to trust us for your information. <laughs> Hopefully we're a trustworthy source, but we don't take that lightly and really appreciate everybody's support and, uh, and certainly getting to meet people at tailgates and, and have a good time and, and talking back and forth all year long. Absolutely. So in this, in this time of things, absolutely. Thanks uh, to all you out there uh, for checking out Gators Breakdown. Uh, that's Will Miles. You can check him out on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site once again, readandreaction.com. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys, if you're out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. And swap the dope in BDFSU. FSU.